Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here. It really is. I'm going to pray before I start preaching. And I'll invite you while I am preaching, if anything that I say resonates with you, feel free to uh, say something. Um, yes, that's that sort of thing. If, you, if, if it resonates in a really negative way and you want to like pick it apart with me, maybe we can do that later. <laughs> but yeah, if, if anything um, does resonate, then, then say something. Um, not, not really for my benefit. I've already been fed by this meal. I have. Uh, it's a good thing about preaching is that you get time to meditate on it and it's spoken to me already. So whether or not I'm encouraged or not really is just secondary. It's more about building yourself and each other up and drawing each other's attention to things that really resonate and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. God, thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you that we can meet and look at your word together freely. Thank you, God, that you did not give up on us and that you did die on a cross. Something excruciating that we cannot even imagine going through. You did for us, completely undeserved. You took that punishment so that you wouldn't just give up on us and just throw us in the rubbish bin. Lord, we are so incredibly blessed to have a good God who loves us and has been faithful to us and who will be faithful to us and who is here today in this random spot in the world just to be with us, just to speak to us because you still love us just as much as you ever have. Thank you, God. Amen. So towards the end of last year, we took our kids out for sushi. Yeah, that's resonating with you, Stu, isn't it? Yeah, everyone loves a nine o'clock sushi. <laughs> now, look, we love sushi, um, and we just spent the entire morning at a children's birthday party, and so we didn't have anything necessarily planned for lunch. So we thought we'll go and get some sushi. And so we did. And as we were sitting there, um, I realized I was really, really enjoying it. Now, that's not unusual for me in sushi or for me in food more broadly, but there was something about it. And it dawned on me that what it was, was that we hadn't been able to do it for months. Now, I don't go to restaurants a great deal. When you have four young children, it's not something you do every, every weekend, but it had been a long time. And that's because we'd been in lockdown um, now, I don't know if you remember this, but sometimes, honestly, it feels like 2020 and 2021 was some weird sort of dream. And I've got to pinch myself that it actually actually happened. Um, and little things that we took for granted, uh, we couldn't do, like go out for sushi. Now, having grown up in one of the most privileged parts of the world, uh, this was news, new to me. I've always had complete freedom to do what I want. And to not have that was really strange. Uh, there were lots of strange things about it. Like there was a time where we couldn't see family. Do you remember this? I couldn't see my mum. That was really hard. Especially because she still cooks a lot for me. It's a real challenge. 
strange things that that happened over the last couple of years. I remember one um, press conference, our premier making an announcement that um, families of five could now go and visit other people, and someone in the press gallery said, "Well, what if, what if you're a mum and dad with four kids?" And just like that, she said, "We'll leave a kid at home." <laughs> For real. So we did. We left our three-year-old at home <laughs> with a slow cooker on and went and visited some friends. <laughs> no, we didn't really. We were stuck at home and we're watching all that. I uh, felt like everyone else going out and seeing their friends. And uh, honestly, we cried. It was really hard. It was a strange time. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone. Or you don't appreciate something until you gain it. Like freedom. Freedom is a precious thing. Now, this was the most pertinent example I could think of in my life. I know there's much bigger things in life and around the world that people have been set free from, but this was the most recent thing that I could think of. And to be honest, a lot of the other things were quite trivial. Like the first example I thought of of gaining freedom in my life was being on a long-haul flight. I know I already sound spoiled here, don't I? I was on a long-haul flight on a window seat and a gentleman sat next to me who filled the seat and um, he had this amazing gift where as soon as he sat down and put his, buckled his seatbelt on, he threw his head back and started snoring straight away and it was amazing. He didn't even close his eyes before he started snoring. He had his eyes sort of half closed, glazed over, just snoring, which is fine, good on him, wonderful except when I needed to go to the bathroom and had to somehow try and rouse him to get past him and I couldn't, I couldn't wake him. Um, so I had to like swing a leg over his lap. <laughs> and he's looking at me with his half-glazed over eyes. <laughs> I only did it once. The rest of the trip I didn't drink a thing. Anyway, I was very glad I got off that plane like a freshly shorn sheep leaving the shearer's grasp. I was um, feeling very free when we got off that flight. Now, like I said, these are small examples, but the point is freedom is precious. And when you experience it, there is a joy and something that you savour about it. And today, as we come to, towards the end of our challenge looking at the Gospel of John, I want to look at a story which covers one man gaining his freedom. So today we're going to look at the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9. So who's ready for a bit of Bible? Great. And by a bit, I mean a lot. I'm going to read a lot of Bible today. And, and the reason why this is good is because um, preaching is not actually an entertainment service, nor is it um, something by which we give you a bunch of nifty new innovative ideas. The best analogy I can find for preaching is that I am like a tour guide in an art gallery and I am taking you towards a masterpiece and I am going to point things out that I have noticed about it in order to draw you towards that masterpiece. And it is that masterpiece that will bring change in your life. So if you're ready for that, we're going to do it. So John 9 goes like this, starting from verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents so that he was born blind. Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Just going to stop there for a minute to take a little detour to point something out about this story. And that is the difference between the attitude of Jesus and the attitude of his disciples towards this blind man. Now, they'd obviously both seen the same man. Uh, This man being born blind was essentially destitute in this culture. There was no uh, social service or NDIS to assist him or help him in any way. He was on his own begging so that he had enough just to stay alive. Um, But while Jesus sees a need, his disciples see a doctrinal puzzle to be solved. Whose sin caused this man's blindness? Now, how many times do we miss someone's need because we are too busy trying to work out why it happened? And half the time, why does it even matter? Why even are we trying to figure it out? Often, are we trying to find reasons so that we do not have to help them? Now, don't get me wrong, doctrine is important. It really is. But I would argue that any doctrine that stops us from reaching out in kindness to those around us is bad doctrine. Charles Spurgeon wrote this much more eloquently than me. He said this, It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. You know, Jesus was certainly more interested in acts of mercy and love than in cracking doctrinal nuts in this story. So here we see Jesus take the initiative. Uh, His first response is the need, not the reason as to why this man is in the situation that he is in. And actually, this man is quite passive in the first part of the story. He doesn't ask for a healing. He gives no indication that he even knew that Jesus was there. But Jesus, who has incidentally come fresh from just having his life violently threatened, sees the need and acts. If we truly follow Jesus, this is the example that he lays out for us. We see a need and act. Now, to his credit, the man born blind responds in faith. Now, if someone spat in my eyes or spat in the dirt and made some mud, and I didn't even know he was there, I knew he was coming, rubbed it on my eyes, and then told me to go and find the local pool and wash it off, considering that I'm blind and it's very hard to go and find the local pool, I would probably call the police. I don't know what you would do. You might think, oh, this is nice, this is lovely, you know, facial. Uh, 
But I would be, uh, I would be a bit shocked and affronted. But this man, he actually feels the call of God in all this and responds in faith and persistence, and he's healed. Now back to the story. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And then he told me to go to Salome and wash it off. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. (laughs) The subtext being, I was blind from birth. I didn't see him. How would I know where he is? Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, which was a day of rest. So therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, but this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, or he did not keep their interpretation of the laws that go along with the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So if he's that bad... How can he do this sort of thing? So they were divided. So then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he'll speak for himself. Now, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah should be put out of the synagogue or excluded from the entire Jewish community. And that is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, look, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) And so they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. In other words, we've always thought you were a sinner because you're blind. You must have sinned or done something bad. 
and we don't like your answers and we're sticking with that, get out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I I may believe in him. Remember, this man has never seen Jesus. And Jesus said, You've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What a great story. What a great story. If you take nothing with you from today, take that passage. Take it home with you. Meditate on it. Be encouraged by it. Personally, I love this man's argument. I love that this uneducated, poor young man looks at the Pharisees with his newly opened eyes and says, look, you can argue all day about whether Jesus is from God or not, but I'll tell you what I know. I was blind, but now I see because of him. Now, sometimes you can't compete with somebody's personal experience. See, personal revelation of God's word and the testimony of others will build your faith, but personal experience will top it all off. A few years back, there was a, uh, a restaurant that had a really friendly owner and some okay pasta, but the main attraction was the dessert, and in particular, a dessert. It was the deep-fried strawberries and dipping cream. I don't know if anyone remembers this. It sounds very strange if you've never tried it, right? It started with a few friends of ours going to this restaurant and trying this dessert. And then another group of friends would go and we'd hear stories about this dessert. And they started to explain to us how exactly the flavours worked. And so the strawberries were, were battered and then they were deep fried. And so what the batter did was sort of form this donut sort of texture over the middle of this then melted strawberry. And then there was the cream that you dipped it in was uh, cinnamon flavoured so that the donut batter went perfectly with the cinnamon. The strawberries, as we all know, go with cream like a hot chip goes with tomato sauce. And so we understood how this, uh, how this worked and we were convinced. We thought, yep, we've got to go try this. So the night arrived and I can't tell you a thing about the meal. I can tell you I was there with Sky. All I can remember, though, about the night was the deep-fried strawberries, and they did live up to the hype. The only thing that was disappointing was there wasn't enough of them. See, the testimony of our friends and our understanding of the ingredients took us so far, but once we had experienced those strawberries for ourselves, we became firm believers in those strawberries. And I still am, and I'm still sad that restaurant closed down. Now, in this story, the Pharisees were not interested in taking up Jesus' invitation of freedom. In the previous chapter, chapter 8, Jesus explains some things to them about the type of freedom that he was offering. We'll read from verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. So in other words, we've always been free men. We don't know what you're talking about. How can you say that we shall be set free? We've never been slaves. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And now a slave has now permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Or as the Passion Translation puts it, you are unquestionably free. Unquestionably free. See, the Pharisees here were missing the point. Jesus is clear in stating that we are slaves to something. They might not have been slaves at a human level. They also may not have been slaves to sickness or poverty. But everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But rather than accept the freedom that one man who had been free of sin in all of human history, rather than accept the freedom that he could offer them, they chose to argue the point as to why they didn't need it. And then they got so angry, they tried to bash him to death with some rocks, all because of his offer. Now, if I get back to the strawberries for a second, because some of you are still thinking about them. Now, Sky and I could have argued that deep-fried strawberries just sound weird. It's not for us. We could have insisted on not trying them. But we listened to the testimony of our friends. We searched the facts about the dish and decided to take the next step and step out in faith and try it. Now, experiencing the freedom that comes in Christ is much the same. You can sit there and argue about how you don't need it. Or you can say or you are you can you can say you're the one person in history who's never been a slave to sickness, never been a slave to fear, never been a slave to depression, never been a slave to poverty, never been a slave to addiction, never been a slave to alcohol, never been a slave to sin. Or you can weigh it up and decide to take Jesus at his word and see what he can do for you. And if you do that, you too will cry out like the blind man did, that like this I know, I was once blind, but now I can see. I want to tell you that this room is filled with people who have experienced the freedom of God. People who decided to stop arguing with God and to take up his offer of freedom. People who were once sick, but are now well. People who were once addicted to alcohol and are now sober. People who were once crippled by fear and now have peace. People who were once in poverty but now have all that they need. People who could say, this I know, I was a slave to sin but now I am free. Our God is a God of freedom. And that same freedom that was on offer to that blind man 2,000 years ago, and the Pharisees, incidentally, 2,000 years ago, is still on offer to us now. Freedom is yours if you will take Jesus at his word, if you will give him a try. I'm legally blind. A lot of you didn't know that about me, did you? I'm legally blind. I have to wear contact lenses that are about as thick as the perspex at the bank in order to be able to see you. I've been legally blind since I was a little boy. I'm just a little bit clever when it comes to reading and literacy, and so no one picked up on it, so I'd nearly finished primary school. But I could not see the board at all. I could just see this green blurred mass that was engulfing part of my teacher's head when she stood in front of it, because we had green chalkboards back then, no whiteboards or smart boards or anything like that. I have prayed lots of times, particularly when I was a kid and a teenager, that uh, my eyesight would be healed. And it hasn't been yet. 
And I just wanted to put that out there that when I'm talking about freedom, that doesn't mean that you're always going to get the answers to your prayer as you expect they would this side of eternity. The freedom I'm talking about is bigger than that. And this story of this man is an example of that. It's not necessarily a rule that everyone who prays for healing of their eyesight, bear in mind this guy didn't even ask. How cheeky is that? I asked lots of times. I didn't even ask. And he got it. I also too wanted to point out that there's something else with this as well. And that is having freedom in Jesus doesn't mean that life will be rosy. It certainly wasn't for this man. Okay? Just imagine for a minute you have been blind from birth. It has been dark since you've been born. And you're in a culture where no one looks after you. He has been sitting, begging, living destitute, hand-to-mouth, not able to see anything for his entire life. And then one day he gets his miracle and he gets absolutely smashed for it. The Pharisees had clearly developed a doctrine that had completely shut out the grace and kindness of God. No matter how right they felt they were, they had shut out the grace and kindness of God. So here he finds himself completely outcast from the Jewish community. Now you have to understand what it was like to be excommunicated from the synagogue back then. This was the central part of the Jewish community. If you were not part of it, you were not part of the rich network that connected you with everything, with employment, with marriage, with places to live, with goods and services. You were on your own. Now, this man's parents knew that. They were terrified of it, and so they threw him under the bus. This man is completely alone at the end of this story. He's already been abandoned by his family, and now he's completely excommunicated from the Jewish community. Whatever little charity he did receive is now cut off from him. So here he is, free from blindness, but on his own. His freedom comes at a steep cost. But who comes to find him? Jesus does. And let me tell you, if following Jesus ever leaves you out in the cold, ever leaves you alone, poor, without any opportunities, I can promise you that as you sit there in the gutter all by yourself, our great and faithful King Jesus will already be sitting there with you. If you lose anything for putting your faith in the freedom that he brings, let me tell you that you will gain everything because you will have Jesus. Because if you find yourself out in the cold because of your faith, then you will find yourself closer to Jesus than you will ever be. I was very blessed as a boy in that I have Christian parents who raised me in church, and we actively served in church. And I will just say, as a disclaimer, church is not a perfect place because we're there, okay? And I said, where? It's not there. It's not others. It's not, you know, people out there. It's you and me, us people. We're weird and dysfunctional. 
And there's plenty of things that happen in church which aren't amazing, but when the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do enough good stuff, it is an amazing place to be. It really is. And growing up in a church, despite all the lumps and bumps and the things that went wrong, I am so grateful that I grew up as part of a church. And mums and dads, I am grateful that my mum and dad dragged me along to everything and exposed me to every service that they were part of. I'm going to tell you a story that illustrates this because my parents, they ran a small group in our house. It was a Bible study and dad would get out the guitar and sing all the Keith Green songs and, and we'd read from the Bible and we'd pray for each other and have some food together. And this group had a lot of people who'd had very rough lives to that point. There were people who'd had real difficulties with their mental health. And there was one fellow uh, called Kenny who had been homeless for a large portion of his life. And, uh, and Kenny, uh, he, he, you know, being homeless, he slept rough. So night after night, he was on the street making do with wherever he could. And he also ate rough as well. He would just uh, scrap around for what he could find in bins and leftovers day after day and night after night. Until one night, um, Kenny was digging around at a dumpster behind a jewellery store that was owned by a couple in our church. And they were moved by the Holy Spirit and by the example of Jesus. And they went outside in the dark of the night, in the cold of the night, to be with him. So he was a man who had been abandoned by the world. But there in the dark, in the filthy bin, he encountered the love of Jesus. Now, Kenny's life changed from that point on. See, he came to know Jesus and uh, things got very different for him. He got more hygienic and cleaned himself up. He started wearing um, decent clothes. He found a place to live. And then uh, Kenny uh, went the next level and started serving in church. And uh, he joined the hospitality team. And so when we had like, you know, church events on and there was food, Kenny was part of the team that provided the food. And Kenny always brought the biggest contribution. So he would bring the biggest cob loaf. He would bring the biggest. He'd bring the biggest cake, the biggest, biggest pie. He would bring the biggest contribution. Everyone always wanted to have what Kenny had brought. Kenny also made sure that there were no leftovers because some habits die hard. But he was a man completely transformed. And don't you just love how Jesus set him free from the slavery of shame, from the slavery of poverty. And it is slavery. It binds you up. It keeps you in bondage. He was a man who couldn't feed himself And now God was using him to feed others. How was that for a transformation? How can you not worship a God who sets a man free like that? It is amazing. Now, life might be hard for you. In fact, I guarantee that following after Jesus is going to cost you. But you will be free. And if you ever find yourself alone and out in the cold and rummaging through the bin trying to scrape by because you feel like everyone else has given up on you, just look beside you. Your Jesus will be there. He will be there. 
It may be cold and it may be hard, but your Jesus will be there. You may lose your comforts, but he will be there. You may lose some friends. You may become estranged from family, but Jesus will still be there. You may lose your respect. You may lose your opportunities within the community and be swept off to the sidelines. But look beside you because Jesus is already there. And like this blind man, if you have Jesus, you have everything because only he can set you free from shame. Only he can set you free from fear. Only he can set you free from sin because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm going to finish up now. The tour's finished. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with the masterpiece. And what's more, this tour's even better because the artist is in the building. There's a few areas that I felt in my heart as I was preparing this message that we could possibly respond to. The first is, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't even know what that means, but you've got this stirring in your heart that, I might want to give him a try. Then this morning, can we give you that opportunity? If that's you, what we're going to do is we're going to have some songs and then after the short period of singing, there's going to be an opportunity where the prayer team, there's going to be some people up the front. And these aren't particularly holy people. They won't be wearing robes and things or anything like that. They're just regular people who are available for the Holy Spirit to move through and pray with you. Um, so if you would like to give Jesus a try, they would love to take you through that first conversation with him and to allow him to be Lord of your life. Second thing, sometimes um, the freedom that um, Jesus gives us, well, actually all the time, is something that we have to come back to time and time again. There are things that maybe we keep getting back pulled into slavery over. And for each of you, you know what those things are, whether it's fear and addiction, whatever it might be. And if you are feeling uh, the bonds of slavery of anything at the moment, then why don't you come before our Heavenly Father and allow Him to give you His freedom? And the third thing that was on my heart too, in terms of how we could respond, is around those of us who have lost a lot from following Jesus particularly those who feel alone. And if that is you, and if you feel a lot like you are in the gutter, then I would encourage you to come and get prayer so that you can experience the tangible presence of your King Jesus sitting beside you. And He's not pulling up a seat. He's been there the whole time. But I also want to open up to if there's anything else you want prayer for. If it's a healing, if it's a difficult relationship, if it's anything at all a big decision, why don't you take this opportunity and let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that on the cross you pay the price for our sin and our shame. You won the freedom for us over sin, death, and everything that goes with it, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are right beside us, that you have always been right beside us. And God, as we come now to, um, to worship 
and to pray for each other, Lord. Would you move us by your Holy Spirit to respond to your word in the way that you would have us respond to your word this morning, God. Have your way, God. Thank you that you are real. Thank you that you are good. And thank you that when we give you a try, you are faithful and powerful. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.